0: All right, so we'll do the sermon, and then uh, we will adjourn and go outside and have the baptisms. Should be good. If you're concerned the sermon is starting this late in the service, there's no need to be concerned, Uh, I don't think. We'll find out soon enough. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be studying what the Bible teaches us about God, the Holy Spirit. And today I want to just start off by offering a brief reflection on that topic by looking at the baptism of Jesus, the passage that Amy read for us earlier. Throughout the life of Jesus, he offered this simple invitation to people. Jesus said, come, follow me. Jesus makes that same invitation to us today. He says, come, follow me. Now there's a pretty logical follow-on to that question, which is, okay, where are we going? to the the Denny's, to the Taco Bell. You can tell I'm already a little hungry for lunch. Where are we going? Now, the answer is rich. The answer is complex. But at the very least, we follow Jesus into the life of the triune God. Now, there's a word you don't get to use very often, triune. But it's the adjective form of the word trinity. So, we follow Jesus into the life of the God who is a trinity. The Trinity is one of the most distinctive beliefs of the Christian faith. It also tends to be one of the most confusing. Trinity means that God is both one and three, that God is one in essence, three in persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So yes, there is one God. And yet we encounter that God in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God is both one and three. He is a tri-unity, a trinity is where we get that word from. There have been libraries of books written through the centuries trying to make sense of all this. And we are not going to solve it here today in an abbreviated sermon. But I do want to give you a few quick takeaways from the fact that God is a trinity. For example, it would tell us that God is a being of higher complexity than humans. I mean, how can God be both one and three? That doesn't make any sense to me as a human being, but it makes perfect sense to God. And that's because God is of a greater order, of a greater complexity than we are. So there are plenty of things that make no sense to us that are no big deal for God. The same would be true if ants tried to understand us or if amoebas tried to understand ants. There are just parts of God that we won't be able to get our minds around. A second takeaway would be that God exists in community, that God is not a rugged individualist, that God has community and has it in and of himself. This is one of the reasons I I think that God encourages us to be part of a church family, even in the hard times, to be part of a church family. Because we need community. We need the gift of community. We were created for community. In fact, community is at the foundation of all creation. Uh, One more takeaway would be that God does not need us. If God is a community in and of Himself, God does not need us. So rather, He created us to share in His joy and in His love and in His life. God as a community is complete in and of Himself, God was not lonely before He created the world. Everything was fine. And so creation did not happen out of need. Creation happened out of desire. God desired to create the world. God desired to create you so that you could share in His joy, share in His life, share in His love. Now that's the ideal. And then reality hit. And the reality is, left to our own devices, we wander away from God. Isaiah 53 has this verse it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We have left God's path to follow our own way. So God created us to share in His love, to share in His joy, to share in His abundant and everlasting life, and yet we leave God behind to craft a life of our own choosing, a life where we call the shots, a life where we are in control. It separates us from God. It separates us from the life that He wants us to have. And that would be the end of a sad story, except for one thing which is that creation began out of God's desire. And so it is God's desire, not your shortcomings, not your failures, not my shortcomings, not my failures, God's desire that is still the major theme of the story we find ourselves in. And so God sent a search and rescue mission to find these sheep that had gone astray, and that search and rescue mission is called Jesus. Jesus came to earth, to show us what God is truly like, and to bring us back into restored relationship with Him. Jesus came to earth to bring us back into fellowship with God, back into communion with God. Jesus came to draw us back into the community of God, into the life of God. This is what Jesus still does. Jesus wants to give you life. He wants to give you abundant and everlasting life so that you could be less wrapped up in yourself and more wrapped up in God. And so then after his resurrection, Jesus gives this very intriguing command to his first disciples. He says in Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus tells his original disciples, go into all the world and baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a fascinating command because up until this point in the Bible, there's been a lot of talk about God the Father. There's been a lot of talk about God the Son there's been almost nothing said about God the Holy Spirit. There have been some things, but not very much. And yet Jesus says, baptize in all three names. This is when I would take, make just a little aside here and say that periodically you will hear this theory put forth uh, on like a special on TV or in an article or book or something. And, and the theory goes something like this. Uh, The earliest Christians, and certainly Jesus, did not actually believe in the Trinity. It was made up hundreds of years after Jesus, and typically for some unsavory purpose. So that's the theory, and it's an interesting theory, and it suffers from one small problem, and I'm about to tell you what it is. Uh, The small problem is that it's wrong. I mean, it's just incorrect. Uh, the question is not, do you believe in the Trinity? That's not, what that's not what the theory is about. The question is, did Jesus believe in the Trinity? And clearly here at the end of Matthew 28, He said, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A- and no scholar would date this anywhere after you know, 60 or 70 A.D., that, the writing of that first manuscript. So, uh, all, so all, sort of all that to say, it's very clear Jesus believed in the Trinity. And in fact, believed in it so deeply that he he connected it to baptism. He like enshrined it by saying, Baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is an assurance that Jesus unites his followers with the triune God, with the God who is a trinity. This is what Jesus does. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying baptism unites us with God. Baptism is the symbol, baptism is the assurance, it's Jesus who unites us with God. So that if you follow Jesus, or if you ever decide to follow Jesus, in the moment that you do, in the moment that your heart and your mind come to trust Him, in the moment that you commit your life into His hands, whether you can pinpoint exactly when that moment happened or not, but in that moment, Jesus ushers you into the life of God. Jesus is your doorway, and He brings you into God's life. That gets us to Mark chapter 1, verses 4-13, to 13, what Amy read for us earlier. So I'm about to take this way up in the clouds and move it down here. Practically, what does it mean to be reuni- to follow Jesus, to be reunited with the God who is a trinity, to benefit from God's life. It means a lot of things. I'm going to point out two things we see in the baptism of Jesus. So in this passage, we're introduced to a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is kind of a wild individual. He is on the John the Baptist diet, which means he eats honey and locusts. I do not know how many points a locust is, but this is what John the Baptist eats. Jesus comes to be baptized. Jesus goes into the Jordan River, John baptizes him, and then Jesus comes back out of the river. And we learn this. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Jesus' baptism is one of the clearest moments in the Bible where we see all three persons of the Trinity in action. You have God the Son, Jesus, who's on the search and rescue mission to redeem humanity, to reunite us with God. And then God the Father confirms for Jesus that He is God's Son, that He is beloved by God, that He is pleasing to God. And then God the Holy Spirit fills Jesus and leads Him out into the wilderness where the authority for His ministry is solidified. All three persons of the Trinity in one scene. So when Jesus says, follow me, He is at the very least leading you and me into that life, into a life of joy, into the life of love, into the life of God, so that you could be supported and encouraged by God the Father, by God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit. You could be supported and encouraged by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the same way that they encourage and support one another. And so the practical takeaways, if you're a follower of Jesus or if you ever decide to follow Jesus, number one, number one, number, 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 one, united to the triune God by Jesus, Jesus' followers live lives filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' followers live lives filled and led by the Holy Spirit. This is what we see in Mark chapter 1. Jesus' life was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit that powered Jesus' life on earth. It was the Holy Spirit that can power our lives on earth. We learn this interesting detail in the Bible that Jesus never actually baptized anybody with water. Jesus told His disciples to do that, but Jesus never actually baptized anybody with water. And the reason for that, at least one, is that water is the symbol. Water is the assurance. But the real work, the work that Jesus does, is to send God the Holy Spirit into the lives of his followers. This is why John the Baptist says that he baptized with water, but that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. That Jesus does the work, the hard work that you or I couldn't necessarily do, of actually sending the Holy Spirit into the lives of His followers. So the Spirit that powered Jesus' life, the Spirit that powered Jesus' ministry on earth, can power your life, can power your ministry on earth. Now, I don't know that it will look exactly the same for you as it did for Jesus, because you and I are not perfect like Jesus. But at the same time, you and I could underestimate the power of, jesus placed in our lives by giving us the holy spirit and so over the next five to six weeks we're going to explore more about who is the holy spirit and what does the holy spirit do who who has jesus sent into the life of people who follow him number two number two number 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 two united to the triune god by jesus jesus followers are God's beloved children in whom He is well pleased. Because of Jesus Christ, you can have a solid identity from which to live your life. Jesus is the gateway through which you and I enter into the life of God. But then in this mystical way, we are viewed by God. We are treated by God in the same way that Jesus is viewed and is treated. In other words, we have a new identity because of Jesus Christ. Now, when you tell a Christian that they are God's beloved son or God's beloved daughter in whom he is well pleased, it is not uncommon to hear one immediate concern, which is, but I do things that I know are not pleasing to God. How can God be pleased with me when I already know I do things that are not pleasing to God? And this is the moment where we need to remember how complete Jesus' work is how all-encompassing Jesus' forgiveness is, how complete Jesus' reconciliation is, that you are not forgiven in God's sight because of you, but because of Jesus. You're not invited into the life of God because of you, but because of Jesus. And thus your identity as God's beloved child in whom he is well pleased is not dependent on you. It's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. The identity is rooted in Jesus. And he's not afraid that you're going to drag him down. He's trying to pull you up. Your identity in Jesus is not based on how, how tightly you hold on to Jesus, but about how tightly he holds on to you. And so receive, this as the good news that Jesus taught in John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. That's good news. So I'm wrapping up. Today you have seen uh, people dedicate themselves into God's hands, into the hands of Christ. You've seen people dedicate their families into the hands of Christ. We had the same thing happen at the first service. What about you? Who or what guides your life From what secure foundation do you live? Who or what guides your life? From what secure foundation do you live? These are important questions. They deserve deep reflection. And the invitation of Jesus is come follow me. Come to me if you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I will put the Holy Spirit in your life to lead and guide and mold and transform you, and I will give you a secure identity as God's beloved child in whom He is well pleased. That's at least part of what Jesus is offering us when He says, come, follow me. Let's pray together. let me give you a chance to pray to talk to God in the quiet of this moment. In this time of prayer, I would just invite you to talk with about God, talk to God about this question. Who or what guides my life? From what secure foundation do I live? Just talk to God. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to walk through life alone. That we don't have to walk through the good times alone. That we don't have to walk through the bad times alone. That we can have, know that God the Father loves us. That God the Son redeems us. God the Spirit fills us. And so, Lord, in this moment, uh, my prayer would be that your desire and our desire would become the same thing, which is that we would desire to live in relationship with you, that we would be willing to let, let go of living life on our own terms so that we could grasp on to living life with you at the center. that we would be willing to care a little less about ourselves so that we might become a little more wrapped up in you. And so maybe our response today would be along the lines of what Jesus said. He invites, come, follow me. And we say, yes, I will follow you. Don't know all of what it means. Don't know all of what it will cost. Don't know what's going to happen 10 years down the road. But yes, I will follow you. And follow you back into reconciled relationship with my creator. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.